You ever play those hidden object games? You know, the, the whole spot the difference in the picture games? It's, it's where there are these two pictures that look eerily similar, and they tell you that there's something different in them, and you have to kind of go through and find the, the difference in the picture. Anybody ever play those types of games? Or, or, or maybe you remember Where's Waldo? I know that's a little dated for some of you young folks, but I remember Where's Waldo? It's where... Um, where it was sincerely hard to find Waldo amidst all the sameness in the picture. But nevertheless, there he was with that familiar grin and that little wave. And you, if you found Waldo, you kind of felt, felt good like you achieved something. This morning, we're going to be looking at, uh, at two pictures. Pictures of the godly and the ungodly. Pictures of believers and unbelievers. Pictures of, of the church and the world. And we're going to be trying to find the distinction between those. And I would submit to you that there should not be any difficulty in pointing out the difference between the church and the world, between believers and unbelievers, between the godly and the ungodly. And we'll be in the book of Malachi, the last message from the book of Malachi, starting in chapter 3 and, and reading through the end of the chapter of chapter 4. And we're going to see three different speakers who help us to see the difference between those who trust in the Lord and those who do not. So let's read it together. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 13, reading all the way through the end of chapter 4. Malachi three thirteen, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall say, see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave, neither, leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise, with healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes, the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word, we ask right now that you help us to be hearers. And God, help us to leave here as doers who hear your word and put it into practice so that our lives reflect godliness and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, the first thing that, that we see in this picture, or, or the first picture we see, is that of the ungodly. And the, the ungodly speak without fear of the Lord. Look at it in verse 13. This is the people, and they are continuing their dialogue with God, as we've seen 
throughout the book of Malachi, continually questioning God. This has resonated throughout this whole prophet's book. And he says in verse 13, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? They question him again. This is that familiar pattern of interaction between God and ungodly people. God has spoken about, spoken about what they have done wrong, and they are denying it. And there's three things that we have seen in the book of Malachi of how the people responded to God. First, they seem to be unconscious of their sin. They seem to, every time a sin is pointed out, how have we done this? What have we done? What, what's going on? What do you mean? They're, they're, that's the first way. The, the second is they automatically disbelieve, and they question and contradict God. They say, no, we haven't. And the third way they, they respond is they're slow to learn. They're slow to learn because they keep questioning God. They continue to ask him. They're, they're making the same mistake of doubting God's word. Now, some of us may find this really hard to believe. How, how could this people continue like this? Now, I would be surprised by this uh, in Malachi if it were not that these responses to God occur over and over again in every generation of God's people throughout the pages of the Bible. This is a continuous pattern, and it happens in all ages, even since the Bible, including our own age. And it happens in all places, including our churches and our hearts. Yet God persists in the midst of people questioning him as shown by his sending the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel, and as shown by God using the same prophet to speak to us today, to call us to return to him. So let's look closer at what they're doing. Listen to how they speak. This is how the ungodly speak. Look at verse 14. You have said, it is vain to serve God. So, so basically, they are gossiping about who God is. It, is. it is vain to serve God. As the ungodly talk amongst themselves, they encourage one another about who God's not. And, and they, they talk about the vanity of, of serving God. They, they're grumbling amongst themselves about serving God, leading others to believe even these false things about God. Look, look at the next part of verse 14. They ask this question. What is, the, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What is the profit what, what, what do I gain from doing what God says? This is a very, very revealing question in the book of Malachi. It shows that they are fundamentally self-centered and not God-centered. They are looking about their own selves. What, what, if, what have we profited by obeying God's command or by showing penitence when we haven't obeyed God's word? What, what, whatever these people had done or have done, they feel like they are the losers here. They feel like they are missing out. Something's, something's not right. And they're looking for what they're going to get out of following God. And that's not how this works. At least that's, that's not the way they saw it. And what we're going to see and what they would get if they were truly his is God is going to talk, and God's going to talk about that in, in chapter 4 in just a few minutes, uh, about what happens to those who are godly. That's not what they want. They're not necessarily concerned about the future. They're looking at their current circumstances they want the blessing now, not later. For so long, uh, I, I've seen this as a, as a major problem, and even in our evangelism strategy as, as, as Christians. It makes sense to us, doesn't it, that we have to be careful what we say to people if we're trying to win them to Jesus? We believe that, it, that this, uh, this is a, a great life and that it is blessed, but it's also a hard life, Right? Christianity is not easy. It, it can be difficult, and it's a holy life. It's not a get-to-do-whatever-you-want life. It's a do-what-God-says-and-be-blessed life. 
And you don't come to Jesus to be able to ask whatever you want and you get it. You don't, you don't come to Jesus to be able to do whatever you want and be forgiven. You come to Jesus because you understand that he made a sacrifice for you. He paid for your sins. And without his atonement, you would be separated from God for eternity. But with his atonement, you and I will, of course, one day be with him and be blessed forever. We don't live for the momentary blessings. We live for the eternal. But for now, in the moment, we have the privilege of representing Jesus Christ, representing his name through good times and through bad times, knowing that this world is not our final destination. Amen? Knowing that you may be mistreated, you may be looked at as crazy, perhaps you may be persecuted. See, we don't promise people the perfect life here on earth, that they can have their best life now. It is best with Jesus, amen? If you want to live the best life you can now, it's best to have Jesus, amen? He's what gives us life, he's what sustains us even in hard times. How do we cope with this world, with difficulties? We have Jesus. We have have the Spirit as our helper who Jesus sent to give us help in this world. Imagine if you did not have the Spirit this morning. Imagine life without the Spirit of God leading you and guiding you and encouraging you and helping you in difficult times. Imagine imagine life without the church coming around you and, and lifting you up and encouraging one another and sharing life together. You see, we we can't... We can't fall into the the pattern of promising something that God doesn't. If you win them with that, you will have to keep them with that. And the moment difficulties come, the moment struggles come, they will ask, how is this better than what's happening to those who don't trust God? That's what the people in Malachi are doing. Look at verse 15. They say the arrogant are blessed. The evildoers prosper. They even test God and escape. How is my life any better than anyone else's? Maybe all of us have, have had that same thought at some point or, or even voiced that to God. But, but who, who bewitched us to believe that way? Was it the church? I can tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. Listen to how he evangelizes the crowds. Luke nine fifty eight. You want to follow me? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I have no place to lay my head tonight. Come on. We're going to sleep on the rocks. Doesn't that sound like modern-day evangelism? How about this? Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Or, or maybe 653 in John, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Sound like current evangelism? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his tool of execution, his cross, And let him follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you have come to to Christ for treasures in this life, you will be disappointed. Both here and possibly in the future if you don't trust Christ. Because true believers don't come to Jesus for what they get out of it. For what they profit from it. They come for eternal life. Listen also Sometimes we, we point out that Jesus said these really what seem like radical ideas, and we miss that he, he also balances that with, with some other truths. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in, in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may not have a place to lay your head tonight, but wherever you lay your head, you'll have peace. You'll have peace in your soul. You can have a good conscience and find rest for your soul in Jesus. Listen, Christian, the promises of God will sustain the people of God through every trial and tribulation. No matter what comes our way, come hell or high water, we trust in the promises of God and we can have peace. We know whose we are and we know who we will serve. And because we know the promises of God, whatever pain comes, it's bearable. Sometimes even welcomed. Because we know it's evidence that Christ is in us. The people of Malachi, they, were, they weren't concerned about anything eternal. They were concerned about worldly things, things that they could see, things that they could touch. They were concerned about themselves. So, so they, they sinfully compared themselves to others and accused God of not taking care of them. They spoke harsh words against God, he says, with no fear. That's what the world does, right? They speak about God without fear. They don't really know who they're talking to, do they? Do you cringe when you hear people say things about God that aren't true? Doesn't your heart break for them as they speak against God with no fear? Listen to what Matthew 10, 28 says. It says, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. About eight years ago, seven and a half, eight years ago, I went into the secular workforce. I was full-time ministry, and I remember, remember going into the workforce and, uh, and, and uh, meeting with people and, and noticing that, that I was no longer surrounded or insulated by my church friends. And uh, people didn't talk the same way out there as they did in here. And I remember uh, people saying some of the craziest things, worldly talk, foul language, just all kinds of things. And, and, um, and when, when they would find out that I was a preacher, because that would inevitably come up at some point, they would apologize. At least some of them would, right? Some of them didn't care. But a lot of them would say, man, I'm sorry I didn't know you were a preacher. I hope, hope I didn't offend you. And, and I would always respond this way. I would say, hey, man. I, I don't encourage anybody to talk like that, but don't, don't worry about me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't judge you. I'm not, you're, you're not accountable to me. And I'll say, but you will be accountable. <laughs> One day you'll answer for every word. That always encourages those in the world. <laughs> and I think about Matthew 10, 28. Why are they worried about me? Why are they worried about me? Who am I? just another fallen head they should be fearful of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell see the ungodly they speak without fear they're not they're not worried they don't care what you think either they may apologize just to feel comfortable in themselves but they don't care they don't they're not really scared they're certainly not caring about god i remember growing up there was one person we were taught to respect our elders we didn't talk back to anybody but it was different when you talk back to daddy you were careful what you said about and around your father. That's how it was in my home. How much more so should, it be, should we be careful about how we speak about God? See, the ungodly, they have no fear. They're not scared of what God is going to do to him. That's how they speak. But there's a contrast in our text. It starts in verse 16, and it's where we see that the godly speak, and they speak with the fear of the Lord. 
not with no fear of the Lord. They speak with the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 16. It says, says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, with one another. And the Lord paid attention. He heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And, and, And notice with me carefully the very beginning of that verse 16. It says, Then... Then those who feared the Lord. It's, it, it, it was just then, against the backdrop of this ungodly people, of this rebellious, questioning, doubting people, that the godly speak to one another. This remnant of faithful people and uh, of God, they begin to speak to one another. They, they resort to spiritual counsel and to, to godly fellowship with one another. And we, we see this stark contrast. It, it says there, they feared the Lord. That was what was different. They esteemed his name instead of profaning it like these others ungodlies had done. And, and we've talked about the fear of the Lord before, even in this sermon series. It's not a sense of being horrified or frightened by God, but appropriately respecting who God is. The idea of, of reverential honor for a holy God. And these people, they fear the Lord. This is, this is a, a great distinction that Malachi gives us between those who are walking with God and those who aren't, those who are ungodly and those who are, who are godly, those who are worldly and those who know that this world is not their home. You either fear the Lord and honor him as Lord and Father, or you do not fear him and you question everything about him. You doubt his goodness. You doubt his justice. In verse 16, those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. This is, this is the first time we read in the book of Malachi of a positive response to the words of the Lord through the prophet Malachi. Before this, the responses have all been negative, uh, the, the, uh, and, and, and they've been, been questioning. But in all times of God's people, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant of those who would be faithful, those who are within the people of God who do respond to God's word with faith and obedience. Those that fear the Lord, those that, that feared the Lord, they, they spoke with one another, Scripture says. And the result of this conversation is, is amazing. Look at what it says. It says that he paid attention to them. Isn't that beautiful? A book of remembrance was written before him. I hope you get this today. God not only pays attention to us when we speak to him, which in and of itself is, is an absolutely amazing thought, but he also hears and pays attention when we speak about him, when we talk about who he is, when we encourage one another or exhort one another and, and open the scriptures together and speak about spiritual things with one another. The Lord takes note. He listens. He writes it in his book. You and I live in a time where the world views words as very cheap, uh, throwaway things. Uh, what, what's the shelf life of a tweet these days? Uh, one day, two days at the most, if you're lucky. Or our, our speech here seems, seems weightless. It's insignificant, blown away by the wind in the eyes of the world. But our words before God, they have gravity. And they're not forgotten, he says. He pays attention to them. He listens. He writes them in his book of remembrance. Those who feared the Lord, they, they came together and they spoke to one another and they fellowshiped one another. And guess who was there with them? Who was paying close attention? It was the Lord God. He was listening in on their conversation. Christian fellowship is, is one of the, the great marks that characterize a child of God. Makes us distinct from the world. We, we love to talk about God. We love to be surrounded by people who make great the name of Jesus. Listen to, to Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your speech always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each other, each person. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they talk, right? I mean, you don't have to be around someone long to, to understand. I was sitting in a, in, a, in a training just this past Friday, and uh, I was up next, and the speaker before me, he, he used the term salvation. This is our salvation. He was talking about safety, and he used the word salvation. And he, he said another, another time, you need to preserve what the good Lord's given you. He was talking about preserving our hearing. He was doing safety hearing training. And uh, he used the word the good Lord and salvation. About halfway through the day, it was just eating at me. I said, i got to call this guy. So I, he'd give me a card. I called him up. I said, hey, man. He said, how you doing? I said, we need, to, we need to network a little bit. I said, I feel like we have some things in common. He's like, what, what's, what's that? I said, well, you use the term good Lord and salvation in your message today. He said, I'm a Christian. I said, praise God, I am too, man. It's good to have a brother in Christ to talk to you. There's something about when we talk, the things we say, the, the, the way we talk, it, it should be distinct from that of the world. You can tell a lot about someone by the way they talk, by their language. What is it? this morning that marks your speech? What is it that you spend most of your time talking about? I'm going to be honest with you. I was disappointed that the Saints didn't make it to the Super Bowl. I'm sure most of us were. But in one way, I'm, it's probably a good thing that they didn't make it. Because if they did this morning, most of our conversations would have probably been about that. I mean, let's just be honest. It's just one of those things when you, we enjoy talking about, right? The Super Bowl. And that would be a significant portion of maybe what was talked about. But who cares about the Rams and the Patriots? So how many of you have even brought up the Super Bowl this morning, right? How many of you even know what's happening today? You don't even care, right? Good. Who cares about that? And I'm not saying that we can't talk about our hobbies or entertainment. But what is it that dominates your speech? What is it that you talk about mostly? Our speech should distinguish us from the world. Our speech should be about our great God, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. He's holy, he's worthy, he's glorious. There's no other name than Jesus whereby which we must be saved. He's amazing, he's awesome. We could go on for hours. Are you, are you taking notes this morning? To be honest, I don't care because God's taking notes. He's paying attention to what we're talking about this morning. He listens, he pays attention to it. So we should let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to our God, our rock, and our redeemer. The ungodly speak, no fear of the Lord. The godly speak with fear of the Lord. And finally, we see God speaks. God speaks, and we'll spend most of our time here because that's more important. Amen? (laughs) What's most important is that God speaks. And in the next eight verses, he brings up some great distinctions between those who fear him and those who don't, between the church and the world, between believers and unbelievers. And the first one I I believe that we see is that we have different destinies. Our future destinies are different from those who are in the world. Look closely with me at chapter 3, verse 17, all the way through chapter 4, verse 3. There's an emphasis on something that we see in this passage. There's a repeated phrase in this portion of the text. Look at it in verse 17. They shall be mine in the day when I make my treasured possession. Look at verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming. Later in that verse, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Look at verse 3. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, 
Verse 5, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day. I know I told you a few weeks ago you couldn't say anything else was awesome, but those things that pertain to the Lord, we can call them awesome. In the day of the Lord, you better know that's going to be an awesome day. This idea of a day, the, 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 it's, it's, it's what sets, sets us apart. That day is going to make a distinction. The, the, the relative difference in a, in a believer's morality will give way to an irreversible difference in the believer's destiny. That's what verse 18 says in so many words. Look at it. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Right now, right now in this moment, there is already a great gulf, a chasm that separates Christians from non-Christians. We, we love different things. We, we value radically different things. We see the world through different, through different eyes. We live for a different master. However, for all that is different, bet- different between a believer and an unbeliever, it is still right now a difference that can be overcome. It's a, it's a chasm that can be spanned. A non-Christian right now in this moment can become a Christian. The enemy of God can become his friend. The wicked may find a place among the righteous. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we pass from death to life, from from enmity with God to adoption into his family. So yes, the difference is vast. The gulf between us is is, is wide. And be sure we can't cross it by any invention of our own. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, So you and I can't span the gulf, but God has acted. God has made a way through Christ to bring reconciliation for those who don't know him. He has spanned the chasm by the means of his son so that guilty sinners like you and like me may be reconciled to God as we trust in Jesus Christ. You see, it's the cross that bridges the gap and ends our alienation and reconciles us to God as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our situation today. For those who have trusted in Christ, the gap, has been closed. There's a bridge that crosses the great divide. His name is Jesus, and if you'll trust in him, you can have life from life to death. That's the great truth for us today. That's the great possibility for you today if you're not a Christian. You may today pass from death to life. You you may today cross this chasm and move from alienation against God and enmity towards God to becoming a child of God by God's grace adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the great possibility today today through, though, though the gulf between us is wide. However, there is a day, Malachi says, a day is coming when that possibility will end. It'll be no more. When the wheat shall be separated from the tares, the the sheep separated from the goats, the scripture says, the believer forever separated irreversibly separated from the unbeliever look at verse 17 it says believers are his treasured treasured possession look look what happens to believers on that day when that day comes he will spare them from the wrath and judgment of god as a father spares his son and the church says amen we'll be spared on that day that awesome day look at verse 2 about the believer It says, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in its wings. 
Jesus Christ will come with the shout of the archangel Michael, the, the clear trumpet blast sounding loud for all to hear in our hearts, all our songs, all our fears, all our wounds, all our weariness. It'll be gone. He comes with healing in his wings, the scripture says this morning. And we shall enter on that day into the joy of the Lord. Malachi says it in verse 2 of chapter 4. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now that's my kind of language right there. Man, that ought to get you excited. Have you ever seen a calf come out of a stall? It is pure joy on their behalf. They are plum excited. I mean, they jump and buck and run around. They're free, and they don't care who knows it. What a day of joy. What a, what a much longed for day of joy that will be when the Lord comes. Don't you find your heart crying out, even so come, Lord Jesus come. And for all that excitement, for all that excitement that you feel right now, you must know, you, you have to know that there's another side to this story. For those who don't know the Lord, God also speaks. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be like stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it, shall, it will leave neither root nor branch. To those who, who do not fear the Lord, who do not know Jesus Christ, that great final day will truly be horrible indeed. Look at the text. The fire of the wrath of God in hell is comprehensive. It, it involves everlasting destruction away from the presence of God and against it there is no defense the wicked verse 3 says will be ashes under the feet of the righteous that is to say the victory of God among uh, his people will be absolute and all who opposed him will will know utter and complete comprehensive defeat this is why we plead with you come to Christ trust in Christ to avoid such defeat you think you still have time to trust in Jesus, and so you might. But no one knows the day or hour. It will come like a thief in the night. God here, he speaks about believers and unbelievers and talks about this distinction between their destinies. He speaks of another distinction. We see that in verse 4. And that's not just our future, but a distinction between our faithfulness. Malachi 4.4 4 says, Remember that the law... Remember the law of Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at, the, at Horeb for all of Israel. The idea here is that the children will follow his commands. They'll remember his statutes. Earlier we spoke about how we speak to one another, but our speech is not disconnected from our actions. A Christian is someone who has, has been mastered by Jesus. He's, he's found the law of God to be the perfect law of liberty. It sets him free to obey God. It's not a, it's not a burden to obey God. He says, remember the law, says Malachi. Live according to my word. Love the statutes. Love what I've commanded you. We, this, is, this is not new for, for New Testament Christians. Uh, it starts there, but Romans 13, 10. If you love God, you should, uh, you, should, you should show it by your obedience. Love fulfills the law. We see somewhere in, in um, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So, Christian, do, do you claim Christ as your Savior? It'll be manifested in your, your joyful surrender to him. It's not possible to say that you're a Christ follower and disciple and not strive to live in faithfulness to his commands. This is a distinctive between those who are truly his and those who aren't. 
even within the church, anybody can say they know Christ, but they shall know you by your fruit. We should be bearing fruit in keeping with our repentance and keeping with, with it. This is distinct from the world. It's distinct in Malachi's day, and we read throughout this book that they were not following God's law. Our, our faithfulness to Christ sets us apart. Our, our futures are different. Our, our faithfulness is different. And finally, God speaks, our families are different. Our, our families are different. The way we live our life together is different. Look at verses 4 and 5. Behold, I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Elijah the prophet will return, Malachi says. I want you to just listen to Luke chapter, chapter 1, verse 13. If you remember the story of the angel announcing to Zechariah that he would have a son, and it was the, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Listen to what it says. It says, The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for... Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will become great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a direct quote in the New Testament from Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And similarly, we read in Matthew eleven thirteen, for all the prophets and law prophesied until John, meaning John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So John the Baptist came preparing before the Lord Jesus, he came preparing the way for this powerful preaching ministry that would come through Christ. He proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He preached, and, and as he preached, people were, were reconciled to God through faith in the promised Messiah who was stepping onto the scene even as John was preaching, and, they reconcil- and they're, they're reconciled to God. And as they're being reconciled, there's this, this spiritual thaw that's happening in their hearts. Their hearts are being melted away. The ministry that was prepared by John the Baptist and fulfilled by Jesus Christ is a ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry that changes our hearts. Our hearts that were were wicked within us, that were rebellious against God, are now made new in Jesus Christ. They are turned. And the gospel of, of the coming of Christ begins to have its way Hearts begin to turn. There's a turn that takes place. Do you see it there in the text? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. The word repent means to to turn. And John was was getting uh, people turned into the direction of Christ where true repentance takes place and our hearts are turned to God. There's a a change that happens here. And it happens not just in our our vertical relationship. Our hearts are turned toward God. But look at, look at what he says here. He says, and the, the, the hearts of the, the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. There's, there's this, this vertical thing that happens, but it also happens in our horizontal relationships. Our, our hearts are, are mended together with other believers, those who have who've come to know Christ. When we've, been, when we've been reconciled, when we've been forgiven, we learn to forgive. We read the Lord's Prayer earlier. It says, forgive us our debts we also forgive our debtors. When, when you're forgiven, you learn how to forgive. When you're forgiven this way, you learn how to forgive this way. 
We begin to learn how to love, to serve one another. We begin to resolve to, to slay the pride in our hearts and adopt a, a statue of a stance of humility. And we pursue reconciliation with one another, not just with God. This seems to be the idea of the hearts of children and the hearts of fathers turning back to one another, being reconciled. So we have this vertical relationship that informs our horizontal relationships. Our, our families can have peace if we are all right with God. So, the ungodly have spoken without fear. The godly have spoken with fear, and God speaks. God said it, that settles it. Amen? God has shown this distinction between the church and the world, between believers and unbelievers. So let's take inventory this morning. How do we look? Which category do you this morning most resemble? The ungodly who, who speak without fear or the godly who fear the Lord? And if you're here and you find yourself relating to those who do not fear the Lord, you're in a good place actually this morning. There's, there's still time. Even in our text we see it. There's this turning that's happening that's still going on. And he says, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's coming. But right now is a time of turning. There's a time of repentance right now where we have time to trust in Jesus Christ. So those of us who fear the Lord, we want to speak with you. We want to fellowship with you. We're speaking to you right now, right now in this message. And God wants to reconcile you to himself, to, to turn your heart to God. So this morning I implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Turn to Jesus. Receive life. Believe on his name. How, how, how do I do that, you ask? It's, it's not so much what you do, but what God has done and is doing. And if your heart right now is being stirred this morning, then come to Jesus. He, he left the splendor of heaven and came to earth to live a, a sinless life so that he could be the perfect, unblemished sacrifice that God required. Jesus died for you. More than that, he defeated death and rose from the grave for you. And if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you, I want you to find me after this, after, after we close in just a few minutes. Let's talk about what it means for you and how you can begin growth in this new faith. And for those of us who are, are fearing the Lord and are confident in our relationship with God, let's make sure we look different. Let's resemble Christ and his church Let's not profane his name. You see, God speaks against these ungodly people, but at the end, he leaves hope. There's still chances for them to turn. So you, you don't, don't presume upon the grace of God. You come, you repent, you walk in faithfulness to God. Be distinct from the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for, for sending the prophet Malachi to to correct and encourage the people of God so long ago, but also to correct and encourage us. And I pray that, God, we would have our hearts turn to you. We would understand this reconciliation, God, and that it would inform all of our relationships, God, that we would resemble the people without division, without, without filthy mouths, God. We wouldn't speak ungodly ways without fear of you, but we would we would speak about you, about who you are. God, help us, help us, God, at the vine. I so encourage God by, by how you've fostered this, 
practice speaking to one another in the past. And I pray that it would just be rekindled even more today. Even, even in this, this fellowship of the, the Lord's Supper. As we speak again about your death before you come. God, thank you for setting us apart. Help us to walk in obedience to that. In Jesus' name, amen. What you